Hey, this is Rich Wilkerson. I'm the pastor of VU Church in Miami, Florida, and this is our podcast. Thank you so much for checking it out today. I hope it encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. Liz is so excited to be here. Let's pray, everybody. Let's do that. Father, so grateful for another week, which is a demonstration of your goodness and your generosity to us. Thank you for everything that you did in conference. Thank you for callings being realized. Thank you for destinies being altered. Thank you for the hopeless receiving hope. And we thank you for this house. We thank you for this church, this spiritual family. Thank you for this oasis in a spiritual desert. We just give you praise for all that you're doing. Thank you for its leadership, Pastor Rich and DC and the whole team. We pray that as their days are, so shall their strength be. And thank you for the opportunity to contribute to what you're doing here. So I just pray for the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit to help me to teach and to help us to receive so that lives are changed and cities are won. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Listen, I'm, I'm super excited to be here. Really honored. I've got major admiration and an equal amount of appreciation for Pastor Rich. I'm going to tell you a quick story. And when preachers say quick, most of the time it's not quick. This is really quick. Um, a few years ago, my, my oldest son was having going through a tough season in life. And so as a consequence of that, I think he started having a crisis of faith. And so there's this event that we send him to every year, this camp. It's for pastor's kids. And he's been going there every year. And this year that we sent him, that specific year that we sent him, Pastor Rich was teaching. And my son comes back home and I'm looking, I'm like watching his interaction, his mood shifts, the stuff he's talking about. I'm like, whose kid is this? <laughs> what happened to my son? And um, he starts telling me about this experience that he had with this one speaker. And he's like, yes. And he told me this story, talked about how it opened his eyes, it changed his life, uh, reignited his faith. He was a teenager. And um, he said, yeah. Um, and he gave me his number and told me to, to <laughs> so when the session was over, I went up and I talked to him. And he talked to me, spent time with me, invested in me. And he gave me his number and told me to reach out to him whenever I needed him. I say, what is his name? He said his name was Rich Wilkerson. So at this point I knew of Pastor Rich, I didn't know him personally, so I reached out to a mutual friend of ours, Chris Durso, and I sent a message. I said, please get this message to Rich for me. Rich gets my number from Chris, he texts me, I was like, your son was at the camp? <laughs> because his investment wasn't because it was my son. He was investment, he made an investment because it was somebody's son. And that same kid, I'm not old, my wife and I just started young. That, that same kid, <laughs> yeah, we started at 21. <laughs> but the point that I'm making is that kid who was at a very critical juncture and things could have went a different way. In a few weeks now, we'll be leaving on a football scholarship at West Point Military Academy. Um, and um, every time I talk about this, I, I, Rich, thank you. Thank you for the investment that you made in my boy. And um, I pray for your two every morning and uh, I will as long as God gives me breath all right that was awkward all right so uh, <laughs> um, so I, I want to jump into our time together I'm so honored to be here um, one of my favorite theologians Martin Luther said this he said if you preach the gospel in every aspect with the exception of being specific to the times you're living in, you're not preaching the gospel at all. That's the beauty of the gospel. It's never irrelevant. 
The beauty of the gospel is it is the answer to every issue in every season, in every period in human history. At some point, the gospel is the antidote to the issue. And so as Pastor Rich talked about some things we're dealing with as a country, I felt like I wanted to speak to it a little bit. And so there's a scripture I want to read in the book of Luke chapter 10. And um, I want to read a few verses. It's a part of a parable, a narrative that Jesus tells to communicate a point. And this is, this is what he says in Luke 10, chapter number 33. This is Jesus talking. We're in the middle of his story. Listen to what he says. He says, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. And then when he put the man on his own donkey, he brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after them, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which three of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Listen to Jesus's words, family. He says, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. I want to pause for the cause and tag a title to this text. I want to talk from this subject in our time together today. The church has left the building. The church has left the building. Vu, I want to interrupt your regularly scheduled worship gathering with this breaking news announcement. You've been crafted and created customized by your creator to be a catalyst for world change. In other words, your arrival on this earth is not an accident. Even if your birth was not intentional on the part of your parents, even if the circumstances were not favorable, even if your relationship with your parents is not pleasant, God intentionally orchestrated your existence on this earth for such a time as this. As Dr. Stevenson says, great men and women are only born at the time they're needed the most. So you were born when you needed to be born. You were born where you needed to be born. You were born the way you needed to be born because God arranged your existence on earth in this period in human history for a reason. It is, it's your purpose, right? Which is the reason for the existence of a thing. It's not the existence of a thing. It's the reason for the existence of a thing, which means that I can be existing and not accomplishing the thing I've been created for. And whenever you get a revelation of what you've been created to do, listen to me, you will see that your purpose is always an answer to some problems that exist in the period in human history that you're a part of. God is that strategic that he creates us, he equips us, he empowers us, he gives us spiritual gifts, natural ability, acquired skill that will be needed for the problems that will exist in the age that we occupy the earth. You are not irrelevant, you are uniquely relevant. You're not just an asset, you are a necessity. You are not deficient. God built you by design. He wired you for your work. He knew the problems that would exist and then created and crafted you with the capabilities and the potential to be able to be an answer to some of the issues on the earth. It's in you. Even if you haven't discovered it yet, it's in you. Even if you don't believe it yet, it's in you. Even if it's dormant and latent, it is in you. There's a you you hadn't met yet that God wants, wants to introduce you to so that he can introduce the problem you've been created to solve to you. Not only do you need to meet Goliath, Goliath needs to meet you. 
Am I making sense here? Yeah. yeah. Your existence is an answer to some problems that will exist in the period in human history in which you were born. We need to understand this. We need to get this in the middle of a pandemic. We need to know we were born for this. That we're surprised about this, but God was not. And you know, I think Jesus corroborates this in Matthew chapter five when he says, you're the salt of the earth and you're the light of the world. Jesus is attempting to get us to understand that our existence on earth is to make a contribution to the earth. And if we're going to do that, listen to me, the church has to leave the building. I'm not saying we should abandon church. I'm not saying we should leave the church, but I'm saying our impact is not within the four walls of the church. We can have church in buildings, but we can only be the church in the world. Did you catch that? I'm going to say that again. We can have church in buildings, but we can only be the church in the world. In the church, we get to sing about God's greatness. But in the world, we get to demonstrate God's greatness. In the church, we get to talk about God's love. But in the world, we get to display God's love. In the church, we get to verbally proclaim the gospel. But in the earth, we get to visibly demonstrate the gospel of an ever-loving, ever-living, immutable, unchangeable, omnipotent, omniscient God that can change your life. And I think it's incredibly important to get this, that this world is not our home, but it is our calling. This world is not our ultimate home, but it is our calling. And we've been called to be answers to the issues of our day. Some people incorrectly assume that being answers to the issues of our day is simply relegated to spiritual issues, right? Just sin issues. But when we examine the life of the ultimate world changer, the ultimate change agent, agent, Jesus, we see that he did more than solve sin problems. He solved social problems. He fed the hungry when a woman was about to be stoned to death because of the misapplication of the law, he intervened. When bad religion was persecuting people, he rescued them. He healed the sick, he released the bound, and he even communicated and and articulated that it is his expectation that we do the same. He's so serious about this that he says, what we do for others, he treats it like we've done it for him. In Matthew chapter number 25, this is what he says. Verse 35, he says, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. He says, then the righteous will answer him, hold up, Jesus. Wait a minute. When did we see you hungry? and feed you or see you thirsty and give you something to drink. I don't don't remember that, Jesus. When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did, for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. This is interesting, family, because for Jesus, it's not soul work or social work. For Jesus, it is soul work and social work. For Jesus, watch this, the transformation that we experience internally should produce, should produce a desire to make a difference externally. That, that my relationship with God should change my relationship with God's people. And we've been called commissioned and crafted, created to address some of the issues of the era we live in. Born for it, anointed for it, equipped for it, 
called to it. And one of the issues of our day that is a stain on the clothes of our country is an issue called racism. It is a personal and social sin that inhibits people from experiencing life as God intended. Here's a working definition of it. It is a conscious or unconscious, conscious or unconscious, sense of superiority based on one's race. See, see that conscious or unconscious piece is incredibly important yeah, yeah, yeah. because oftentimes people erroneously assume that I have to be doing something intentionally in order for me to be doing it. When the truth of the matter is, we can be doing something unconsciously. And for, and for a believer, it should be a little easier for us to wrap our heads around this because our, our operations manual for humanity, which is the Bible, our creator and designer God, creates an operations manual called the scripture that tells us how life, society, and our life is supposed to work. And this is what it tells us. It tells us your heart is deceitful. Right. Which means that I'm not always aware of what I'm feeling, what I'm doing, what I'm sensing, what I'm seeing. I'm, that it's possible that there are things about me that I don't see. Isn't that the beauty of spiritual growth, though? Right. The beauty of spiritual growth is that I'm not only growing in my relationship with God. I'm not only not only learning to know God better. I'm learning myself better. We often say, I don't know if you've heard people say this, God knows my heart. Exactly. God does. I don't. <laughs> I think I do, but there are times where I realize I, I don't. And this, this issue here, family, of racism, it devalues the image of God in another person. And it, and it produces the sin of ethnic partiality, which results in something called injustice. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? So, so here it is. A feeling of superiority doesn't adversely affect anybody's life. Right. So we're both walking down the street and someone feels a certain way about another person because of the color of their skin. That doesn't adversely affect their life. The other person doesn't even know what that person is thinking. You know what? You know when it affects their life adversely? When they act upon it. Does that make sense? Yeah. When it impacts the way a person is treated, when it impacts the way their case is tried, when it impacts the way whether or not they get into the school, when it impacts the way whether or not they get the loan, when it impacts the way whether or not a building will be leased to them, when it impacts the way their children are treated when they're outside of their sight. And what is scary about this is that there are ranges and degrees and the individual can assume that if my degree of my sense of superiority is not extreme and hateful and violent and volatile then it is not detrimental but it can be subtle it can be overt it can be personal and it can be systemic structural what does that mean what does that mean it's see 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 systemic or structural racism is the cumulative effect of racist feelings and beliefs and practices that become embodied and expressed in the policies, in the rules. This is what one writer said, in the policies and the rules and the regulations and the procedures and the expectations and the norms and the assumptions and the guidelines and the plans and the strategies, the objectives, the practices, the values, the standards, the narratives, the histories, the records and the like, which accordingly disadvantage the value race and privilege disadvantage the devalue race and privilege the value race. This has been a Goliath in our history. And it doesn't mean we hate our country. We actually love our country. Not to address some areas that need to be improved in our country as, uh, because we feel like we hate it is an example of not addressing issues in the marriage because you feel like, uh, you know, well, since my marriage, since I love my marriage, I won't address it. No, I love it so much. I want to make it the best version. I want you to catch this. Love doesn't settle. Love never settles. 
I'm going to say that one more time. I said love never settles. You know why God's not finished with you? Because love never settles. You know why he hadn't given up on you? Because love never settles. You know why he won't let you settle for less than his best? You know why he won't let you put a period where he puts a comma? Because love never settles. God knows what's in you and he's going to work on you and refine you and reinvent you and restructure you and rebuild you and resurrect you and restore you until you become all you've been created to be. I feel like preaching in the house. Love never settles. And so as the scriptures instruct us to seek the good of the place that God has called us to live in because we love it. We have a commitment to do everything we can to say, let's become the best version of ourselves. This is a Goliath in our country, but I believe God is raising up some Davids who are getting ready to use their slingshot and knock this giant down. I believe there's a generation that says, I am not this or that, I'm this and that. I believe there's a generation that will not judge people by the color of their skin, as Dr. King says, but by the content of their character. I believe there's a generation that will not be divided by cultural categories, by class, by race, by gender. I believe there's a generation that says God has taken all people and is making a people that's going to make a difference in the earth. You may be wondering, okay, Pastor Darius, I hear you, but how do we address this? What are we called to do? This is a Goliath of our day, and I know I just wasn't born simply to or exclusively to address this issue, but if it is an issue of my day, I am called to make a contribution to addressing this issue. This is not all I've been called to do, but if it is an issue of my day, it's something I've been called to do. So help me get some clarity on what I'm supposed to do. I'm glad you asked me that. I'm glad. Because Jesus, the ultimate world changer, offers us some insight on what steps we can take here in Luke 10. I love this parable, y'all. It's, we get the opportunity to eavesdrop on a conversation that Jesus is having with someone that the scriptures describe as an expert in the law. Now, that's not a lawyer. That's a person who's an expert in God's law, a Bible thumper, Bible scholar. And so this person is attempting to test Jesus, actually. They want to trip him up, right? Seems like he had a good good um, motion, but he's got a bad motive, okay? So he says, Jesus, I want to ask you something. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And I love Jesus. Jesus, Jesus is cold. Jesus is cold. I love Jesus' response. He responds to this man's question with a question. Jesus asked some amazing questions, didn't he? (laughs) You you see, because the the questions you ask determine the conclusions you come to. See, Jesus had to ask him a question when he asked him a question because Jesus needed to know what kind of problem he was dealing with. Right? (laughs) So I I want you to catch this because there are times when the quality of our information is tied to the quality of our questions. This applies to life. It applies to leadership. It applies to parenting. It applies to relationships. Uh, Our church is predominantly single, so we do a lot of talk about dating. It definitely applies to dating. Dating should be about gathering data. Right? You're gathering data to see, is this a safe investment for my heart, right? You're not in high school anymore. You, can't, you got bills and you got responsibilities. You can't be in the bed because you're breaking up every three weeks with somebody different, right? It's like, no, you got, a, you got stuff to do, stuff to build. So it's like, I got to gather data to see, is this a safe place to invest my heart? So a good date now is not just a good time. It's I got some good data. But that only comes from the questions we ask. So Jesus asked the question. He says, so what does the law say? And then I love this. It's so important. He says, and how do you read it? It's not just what's in the Bible, right? It's how do you read it? What glasses are you wearing? What, What filters are impacting what you're pulling from scripture here? He says, you can't interpret it right if you're reading it wrong. 
because the Bible's been used to justify all kinds of ungodly things because people weren't reading right. So he says, what does it say? First of all, he says, I need to know that. Know that because Jesus is almost like, I can't argue with you and educate you at the same time. So I need to ask this question to see what kind of problem I'm dealing with. <laughs> do you need an answer or do, do you need uh, to be informed? Do you need mentorship for me to deposit something or do you need coaching? Need me to pull something out? See it? So he says, all right, so what does it say? How do you read it? And so the man answers, he says, well, it says, love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, cool, do that. <laughs> and the man says, I got another question. Who's my neighbor? Jesus says, I. So now he tells him a, a parable. He tells him a story. He says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he gets attacked by robbers. He says, they strip him of his clothes, they beat him, and they leave him half dead. They strip him of his clothes, they beat him, and they leave him half dead. They strip him of his clothes, they beat him, and they leave him half dead. So when they strip him of his clothes, he's laying out there half naked, so they rob him of his dignity. When they beat him, they injure him. When they leave him, they abandon him. And this is a powerful picture of what racism, prejudice, and implicit bias does. It strips people of their dignity. It injures them emotionally, physically, professionally, relationally, and financially. And then it abandons them and leaves them to figure it out on their own. I got up by myself. You get up. I had problems too. I overcame mine. You overcome yours. I didn't get you into this mess. I didn't do, I'm not responsible for, for that. I'm not, I didn't, I'm not responsible for your condition. I'm saying that because this is what's scary is this was the posture of the religious leaders in the text. So this man is laying there, right? And this is what Jesus says. He says, first of all, a priest walks by. <laughs> so, so a priest is walking, right? Priest is walking down the road and he sees the Samaritan. So the priest is, walk, priest is on this side. He sees the Samaritan. This is what the priest does. He goes over to this side. He probably starts walking like this. Because I don't have to solve it if I act like I don't see it. So the priest comes. Then the text says a Levite comes. So this is, this is another religious leader. So, so he doesn't necessarily have to be a priest, but he's a Levite. And the Bible says he walks right past him. This is what's scary. The religious representation in Jesus's story gets doctrine right, but love wrong. The theology was probably right, but they got love wrong. They were probably great in the temple, but they did not understand that the church's call is to lead the building. That our greatness is not just displayed in what we do in our worship gatherings, but our greatness and our impact is demonstrated by what we do in the earth. And so they're probably walking past this guy thinking, I didn't cause that. I'm not that way. I'm not racist. I'm not prejudiced. I don't understand why I should have to take responsibility for helping you up when I didn't knock you down. And I could some degree not excuse, but I could understand if a person has that perspective, if they're not a believer. But if you're a believer, I'm challenged by you adopting that posture because the only reason we're standing up, the only reason we're here is because God saw, solved a problem he didn't cause. You know what the gospel is? It's the story of God getting mankind out of a predicament that mankind got itself in. God didn't look at Adam and say, well, you broke it, you figure it out. God says what love does, love makes a commitment. 
to say, even if I didn't help you break it, I'm going to help you fix it because part of my calling and part of my purpose is to be an answer to problems. There's a word, there's a word in the Old Testament, it's used a lot in the Old Testament, it's used a little in the New Testament, it's a word called anointing. And that word just simply uh, refers to this unique, um, empowering presence that God gives to equip people to do certain works. It's like, it's that X factor, right? It's just yeah. that, it's that thing you can't get from study, it's that thing you can't get from repetition. It's just like, ooh, it's just something about what they do when they do it. They just do it different, you know? And somebody can do the same thing, say the same words, but it doesn't have the same impact. It's that X factor, right? See, we don't need anointing if there are no problems that can't be solved without God's help. And so watch what happens. So the priest walks by and the Levite walks by. And they're all the same race. And someone walks by who's of a different race. That's a Samaritan. Jesus didn't have to give this kind of detail. He could have just said a dude. He could have just said somebody. But he said, no, a Samaritan walks by. Because we know historically the ethnic tension that existed between Jews and Samaritan. I mean, it was so contentious that in John chapter 4, Jesus goes through Samaria the disciples are surprised that he even goes through Samaria. The Jews would normally go around Samaria. The disciples are surprised that he goes through Samaria, Samaria and he goes to this well to get something to drink. And there was a woman that was there who was a Samaritan. And he's, Jesus is engaging in conversation with the woman. And the dominant culture, the Jews there are looking. And the Bible says the, the disciples were surprised that Jesus even talked to her. It was that much tension. And this Samaritan who was of different ethnicity, and who we would say his doctrine wasn't quite orthodox. It wasn't quite, there were some things they believed that would have been a little off. He had the, this is, oh, I don't want to be controversial. He had the doctrine wrong, but he had love right. Wow, so good. Wow, come on. And he, you know what he does? He's on his way somewhere else. But he recognizes that God's interruptions are our opportunities. Right? <laughs> he recognized that this is that God has interrupted my course of action because he only put me on this path to find this person, not just to go where I'm going. And so I can't see this interruption as an inconvenience. I got to see this as an opportunity for God to use me in a way I didn't expect he was going to use me. And this man gets down off of his donkey. He bandages this guy's wounds, pours oil and wine on him, puts him on a donkey, takes him to the inn, gives the innkeeper some money and says, let him stay here until he gets well. And if he stays here longer than what I've compensated you for, when I come back, I'll make it back up to you. And Jesus tells this story. And he asked the, the, the expert of the law the question, now, which one of those was a neighbor? And the expert said, the one who showed mercy. He said, exactly. Now you go and do likewise. You go and <laughs> you go and do likewise. Not just wait, you go and you do likewise. And just as Jesus says these things to this man, I think he's saying them to us. He not only gave the great commission, which is to make disciples, he gave the great commandment, which is to love our neighbor as ourselves. And this parable shows us what this means for believers. Love is not a feeling, it's action. I'm so glad God did more than feel for me. I'm so glad that God demonstrated that love by sending Jesus to the cross to die for me. And I believe as I close here, I believe that um, I believe that this text, if we look at it, it gives us some practical steps. It gives us some tools to put in our toolbox to knock this giant down, family. Here it is. Number one. The first, the first tool we need in our toolbox is right here in the text. 
is we need an epiphany, a light bulb moment, an epiphany. What's that, Pastor Darius? See, this Samaritan couldn't have addressed this issue if he didn't, if he didn't see it, if, if, he didn't, if he wasn't made aware of it, if he didn't wake up, right? If he didn't wake up, the Samaritan didn't see the robbery. He wasn't there, but he saw the evidence of it. Ooh. He didn't see the origin of it, but he saw the outcome of it. He saw it when he, he saw this man stripped. He saw him beaten. He saw him ble bleeding. He saw him broken. And they're just things we need to see. We need to see redlining. We need to see mass incarceration. We need to see health disparities. We need to see the new Jim Crow. We need to see small business loan distribution disparities. We need to see disproportionate, disproportionate unemployment rates. We need to see dis people disproportionately impacted by the COVID vi virus. We need to see people disproportionately below the poverty line. We need an epiphany. We need to see. Because we can be living in our own worlds so consumed by our own issues that we are unaware that our brothers and sisters are hurting. That we are worshiping with people, working with people, working out with people who are being stripped of their dignity. And every day, just having to prove that they, that they matter, right? Not even matter more just matter. We need an epiphany. And when we have this epiphany, I think this revelation will cause a revolution in our behavior because we'll see ourselves in this text. We'll see ourselves as the one who's stripped. Life attacked us. And Jesus found us. Jesus was our good Samaritan. And he found all of us in a broken state. And he nursed us back to health. And out of appreciation for what Jesus has done for us, we have a responsibility to do the same thing to others. How can I receive that and not give it to others? We need an epiphany. Number two, we need intentionality. It's verse 33. It says, he went to where the man was. It wasn't, it wasn't convenient. Obviously, he had somewhere he was trying to get to. But he, he was intentional to go where he was. He deviated from his norm to enter into someone else's space. And here's a reality, okay? When you're a minority... You always have to go where the dominant culture is because you can't succeed in that country without it. If you're going to work in some of the best places, you got to go where they are. If you're going to go to some of the best schools, you got to go where they are. You cannot succeed as a minority without going to where the dominant culture is, understanding them, entering their space, knowing how their world works. But when you're, when, when you're part of minority culture, but when you're part of the dominant culture, it's possible to be successful yes. and have some of the best experiences and never go to where the minority culture is. He was intentional. And it takes intentionality sometimes when you're part of the dominant culture to say, I got to try to build bridges here. Yes. That's not tokenism. That's love. That's not manipulation. That's that's love. They said, I'm going to go out of my way. That's not partiality. That's love. Because there's some things you can't get in a book. You can't get through Google. There's some things you only get when you have relationships, when, when you are walking in life with someone, when you understand their world, when you're doing life together. It takes intentionality. That's a different kind of learning. It goes from an issue to a person. So you can walk past it when it's an issue. But when that issue comes up and you start thinking people, see people who are real judgmental about issues, I can tell they don't have a relationship with people who are struggling with that. Because when it's an issue, you talk about it one way, but when it's a person, it's different. So don't just think racism. Think people you love. Number three, empathy. 
Verse 33 says he took pity on this man. He couldn't, re- he, wasn't, he wasn't beaten, so he didn't know what that felt like. And he didn't try to act like, I know what this feels like. He wasn't even a doctor, so he couldn't deal with all of the pain. I don't know what the bandages look like, but he said, to the best of my ability, I'm going to enter into this pain with you. And, I'm a, and, and, and I don't even know what this feels like, but I love you so much that I'm going to hurt because you're hurting. And I don't even know how bad you're hurting, but the fact that you're hurting hurts me. And I just want to be there with you. And I know some people listen to this and say, that doesn't solve anything. Yes, it does. You know, because we do the same thing when someone's going through grief. It's called the ministry of presence. It's like when I don't have the answers, I don't have to have the answers, but I'm going to be here with you in your pain. I'm going to minister by my presence. What am I going to do? I'm going to show up because love shows up. Did you hear what I just said? Love shows up. He, He had empathy. He empathized without an excuse. He didn't say, uh, what happened to put you here? If you worked harder, you wouldn't be here in this situation. Did you fight back hard enough? Did you comply? I've been through worse. This would have been insensitive and unbiblical because the scriptures teach in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26, when one part of the body suffers, we suffer with it. And last but not least, family, there was not only empathy, there was advocacy. To be an advocate includes intercession, but it is not just limited to intercession. God speaks specifically about this in Isaiah 58. In verse 6, he says, Is this not the kind of fasting I've chosen? To loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and provide the poor wanderer with shelter? when you see the naked to clothe them and to not turn away from your own flesh and blood. He says, and when you do this, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will come quickly and your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I, advocacy. This good Samaritan didn't just say, oh, I feel so bad for you. What did he do? He used his resources. That was his denarii, his ability, his bandages, and his influence with the innkeeper to make life more equitable for someone else. That's what advocating looks like. It means using your resources, your ability, and your influence to make life more equitable for someone else. And God has given us all different types, different degrees of resources, right? Ability and influence. But his expectation is whatever amount I've given you, I want you to be a good steward over it and make sure you are using it to make life more equitable for someone else. Now here is the kicker. In order to do this, it means you must love why God has given you what he's given you more than what he's given you. That's scary, right? That exposes our idolatry. That exposes what really matters to us. That exposes whether or not you'll speak the truth even if your voice shakes because you recognize, God, I love why you gave this to me more than what you've given me. You didn't give me this influence just for me to enjoy it. You gave it to me to steward it. Esther? Right? Esther, I didn't make you queen just so you can have pretty dresses and, and, and walk up and down the palace halls. I made you queen because I knew there was going to come a point in the history of my people that you would have to leverage that influence that I gave you and use it for others and not just for yourself at the risk of losing it. Because you love purpose more than platform and purpose more than possessions. And the fear of God and the love of people is greater than the critique of men. And family, I believe if we will embrace this challenge, because this is our hour, we were born for this. God knew the point in human history to send us in the earth. It's not an accident. 
This is our time. Generations will look back on this moment and talk about how we managed it. The kingdom will be served well. The witness of God will be more fruitful and faithful because we steward this well. And when we do this, it'll be said of us, as it was said of the early church, these are they that have turned the world upside down. Father, I thank you that you are intentional. And in your intentionality, you've raised us up for this point in human history. We know this issue matters greatly to you, so we pray that our heart would break for what breaks yours. And I pray that you would grant us the wisdom and the boldness and the courage, the prudence to manage this moment well. I thank you for this church and how they're leading the way. I thank you for so many others whose hearts you're stirring all over the world. Raise up a generation of Davids that will use their slingshots to knock this giant down. I thank you that it will be so and it will not be otherwise. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you, man. I love you, brother. Incredible. Come on, can we make some noise for Dr. Darius Daniels? Beautiful, 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 beautiful. What a message today. What a message today. I believe it's a word straight from heaven for our church. I believe that God sent a man of God today to speak to us, to enlighten us. And I believe it's a on time. Every word he said, I agree with. Every word that he said, I stand by. Today, I sense the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And I just want to speak to our church right now, if you're watching. You know, that feeling that you might have if you're a believer in Jesus. That's not guilt. That's conviction. Conviction is a reminder of what Jesus has done for you. And as I remember what Jesus has done for me, it's a motivation for me to step into my calling. That priest and that Levite, they walked by that Jewish man. It's amazing that they both carried a title, a priest and a Levite. Yet titles are always attached to tasks. Today, what good is it to carry the title of Christian but not to carry out the task of a Christian? To serve, to love, to help. I loved the ministry of presence. Can we stand with people in their pain? Something happens in proximity. You see things you wouldn't normally see. You hear things you wouldn't normally hear. You learn things you wouldn't normally learn. This is our hour as a church to stand with people in pain. Get close to the pain. Maybe there's others of you right now, you're watching and there's this other sense, you don't know Jesus. And so there's this, there's this sense of guilt and shame. Well, that's a recognition <laughs> that you're lost. That, that's, that's, the, that's the Holy Spirit telling you that you need an advocate. His name is Jesus. Today, I want to give you an opportunity to meet the one that while you were enemies with him, when you had been beaten up by this world through sin, through shame, through mistakes, Jesus, the only real good Samaritan, came and found us in a ditch and picked us up and washed our sins away by dying on a cross. He went to a grave, but three days later, he resurrected today he's alive and that same power that conquered death hell and the grave you have access to it today I want to give you an opportunity whoever you are wherever you're at that if you want to respond to the gospel if you want Jesus to be the Lord of your life right now where you are I don't know how you're watching this you're on your mobile device your YouTube Facebook church online right now I sense God's presence and he's speaking to you today is your day to respond to the grace of Jesus you're never going to be the same the good Samaritan has come while we were enemies with God Christ he died for sinners. That's you and me. Today, I want to give you a chance to put your trust in him. If that's you. Say, Rich, that's me. I, I, I believe Jesus is Lord and Savior. I believe he came and he saved me and he found me. I believe that he sanctified me, has a plan for me. I want to follow him, Rich. I want to follow him. Today, would you just pray this prayer? Just say, dear Jesus, 
Today I surrender. I give you my entire life. Forgive me of all my sins. I recognize the guilt. I recognize the shame. I recognize that I have a part to play in this. Today I'm repenting. I'm, I'm turning towards you. I want all that you have for me. Today I make a declaration that I choose you, that I believe in you, and I'm determined to follow you. I love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Come on, can we put our hands together for those that are just praying that prayer for the first time? I believe that if you're praying that prayer, that, that that's how salvation happens. It happens in a moment, and then we step into our calling. You were born for this moment, like Darius said. And if we're gonna see racism end, if we're gonna see prejudice end, if we're gonna ever see equality take place in this nation, it's gonna take leaders, believers, who would rise from the ashes and lift their voice and stand up for people. And today, we need the Spirit of God. It starts with salvation. Today, if you prayed that prayer right there, whatever device you're on, uh, th there's a spot right there that you can find. I want you to, in the chat right now, just put, I have decided, I have decided in the chat, I have decided, just put that in the chat, but click on that area right there. There's an area that you can fill out a card and you can make sure that you get our, your information to us so that we can partner with you and resource you in this time. We love you so much, Food Church. We're praying for you. We're gonna to continue to stand up for justice. What an amazing week it has been. And I believe this is the word. And this is the word that we needed to hear on this Sunday. I believe there's so many action steps now. we got the conversation going. Now let's step into it. Can we one more time, can we put our hands together? Can we thank Darius Daniels? Show him some love in the chat. Next week is Father's Day. It's gonna be amazing. I love you, Boo Church. This week is Cruise. We'll see you next Sunday, Church Online. God bless. Well, thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you like what you're hearing, consider rating it and even sharing it with friends. It helps so much. For more content from Vu and to connect with us, go to vuchurch.com. We love you. The best is yet to come.